0: Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. just checking in. I want to welcome you. I'm Pastor Tim and you have come at an historic moment in the life of our church. Change is coming to Liquid. Maybe not as momentous as the change we saw in Washington this past week, but change is coming to our church as well. And if you were here last week, you know we unveiled our 2010 vision to become what's known as a multi-site church in 2009. One church meeting in multiple locations, and uh, we've got a hag. you guys know what that is? A big, hairy, audacious goal for the next two years, and into the next decade, really, because we believe it's a God thing that's happening here, and really, it's not about us, but it's by God's grace alone, in fact, it's in spite of us, that by 2010, we believe Liquid will be one church in four locations, four different campuses. We started with this one here in Morristown in April 2007, and we have seen God do incredible things. Um, he has grown us about 200% in 18 months, and we actually hit a problem this fall. Um, in fact, last week, uh, we had about, I think Dave get this right, 1,224 men, women, and children stream through these doors. And the problem is this. You guys see it. We're packed at prime time. It's a little tight in there. I see you. You're kind of like, yeah, a little bit uncomfortable there. Uh, apologies to that. We are out of space, though. We're out of seats. So apologies again to you guys in the lobby there. We're trying to get bigger screens, but here's the deal. We don't care about numbers because it's about changed lives. And what we're seeing here is lives that are being radically changed by Jesus Christ from the inside out. People who are coming back to God actually for the first time, entire families returning to their faith after being away for, for, for a while. We're seeing God things all over the place. Um, last week, uh, just an amazing, amazing week, but... Um, a woman came up to me after the, uh, after the service, and she was all choked up. She was, she was really like, kind of crying and everything. I said, hey, what, what's going on? She said, I was watching the pictures of, of those 60 people who were baptized the other week. She goes, did you baptize a man named Norman? And I was like, yeah, let me, let me think about it. Yeah, oh, Norman. Yeah, I remember Norman. Yeah, I think it was the 4 o'clock service. I go, do you know him? And she goes, Norman's my estranged brother. We haven't spoken. and I've been praying for him. That Okay. All right. Guys, it's not about us. Our church, we, we just we exist for those who aren't here yet. All we do is create an environment where the Spirit of God has free reign to draw people back to Jesus as we take church to them. Our vision is really simple. You guys remember this. In fact, can we just say this together? We take church to the people to lead people back to God where He changes them by the power of His Son, Jesus Christ. Turn with me to the book of Acts, would you? We, uh, we are, this is page 760. This is where we've drawn our inspiration for our vision, which we are calling Unstoppable 2010. The early church um, was a phenomenon. It was raw. It was powerful. It was viral. Last week we saw how it crested, this big wave, 12 people and two hundred, three thousand a single day. And all of a sudden, this divine momentum, it became unstoppable. The early Christians were audacious. You couldn't stop them. Jesus gave them that crazy b He's like, I want you to take my church. I want you to take it all the way to the ends of the earth. And they literally did with zero money. And I think even less smarts, those men and women died to spread the news that here's the, here was their message. Religion can't save. Government can't save. Only Jesus Christ is God alone and savior of the world. That was their message. And what started in Jerusalem, spread to Judea, went to Samaria, ends of the earth. And the leaders of organized religion, they kind of actually tried to snuff out this, this you know new church thing, this Jesus thing. And But they took a step back. You remember this? And had this to say about the apostles. I'm in Acts 5, verse 38. They said, well, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will what? It will fail. But if it is from God, let's read it together. You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. In other words, if their church is about a man, a band, or a building, it'll fall flat on its face. It'll fail. Because man-made momentum isn't sustainable. So don't get too jacked up about this new church that's kind of spreading like a virus. But on the other hand, if it is from God, if he's behind it, well, don't bother trying to stop him. Because when God starts churning the waters, when He is fueling the wave breaking down on you, you got two choices. You either get on board or you get out of the way. Because mark this, it'll be unstoppable. And that's how the early church was birthed 2,000 years ago. Now, fast forward to 2008. Not Jerusalem, but Jersey. John the Baptist then, Joey Lasagna now. Are we here? The story continues. We're in Acts chapter 29, actually, and we've inherited Jesus's BHAG. We have a big, her- don't look for Acts 29, it ends at 28. I'm just saying we're the next chapter. Okay. Uh, we have, <laughs> obviously, turn like, wait a minute, you don't know what he's talking about. We have a BHAG, a God-sized dream, and that is really to take church to people all across New Jersey over the next two years, planting four campuses, one in the north, one in the south, one east, and one west. And what we started here in Morristown, as we said, the next stop is New Brunswick. And we're excited because right now we have about 200 of you guys who travel about 35 minutes from the Brunswick-Pixadaway uh, uh, region, and we're hoping you do something strange. Get out of this church. <laughs> Go start your own. <laughs> Seriously, we have, we're launching that campus closer to where you work and live for one main reason. So you can invite your unchurched neighbors and friends and co-workers and take Jesus to them. Because when you travel over thirty five minutes, you know what that's like. It's just hard to get like, you know, even even your you know family to come, maybe once on Easter, but they don't stick. But when we take church to them, ten minutes away, different story. I was out on George Street on Wednesday shooting that video of Mike, and uh, during the filming, this woman came down out of one of the office buildings, and she was hopping up and down kind of on the corner trying to keep warm, She's kind of like waving. And we went over, and she's like, "And I was like, hey, what's, do we know each other? And she's like, I'm Maria. She goes, I've been coming for months up to Morristown. She goes, but I work right here. She goes, I work right in that building. She goes, I spend all of my waking hours here in New Brunswick, and she was like so excited. Uh, New Brunswick actually is kind of interesting because there are about 55,000 residents, but that number triples during the day because of commuters and students. So it's a very strategic se- uh, city in central Jersey. But she's pumped because she's like, now I can invite my coworkers to church. I've just been showing it to them online. But they can come because we're taking the road less traveled. See, we're not interpreting the growth that God's blessed us with as a cue to now buy a building or build a bigger box and expect the people to come to us. Rather, we're taking the church to them. In many ways, it is following Christ's example of incarnational ministry, right? Just as Jesus left heaven to bring God to earth, skin on skin, him to us, we are taking church to the people to share God's love up close. So our core motivation is really evangelistic. I mean, we want to reach more people for Christ, more Normans, more Nancys, more Joey Lasagnas. Um, from the beginning, we kind of said that liquid exists for those who aren't here yet. And here's the deal. As we focus on serving and nurturing and growing each other, caring for you who are invested right here, at the same time, we focus on reaching those who are far from God. In other words, we're not just about the keep, we're focused on the reach as well. So two words, surf's up. Evangelism is a big reason behind our external focus, but, but catch this, so is Stewardship. That is, going multi-site makes incredible financial sense as well. I want want to show you something cool. See, most people say that, you know, well, at this point in the life of of a growing church, the next obvious step is to build a big box. And I want to show this to you. I'm going to draw this on a little cocktail napkin. You can kind of follow along. A lot of people say, okay, so here's what's coming next. I get it. We go find a nice hill with nothing on it and build a big box and stick a cross on top of it and say, everybody come to us. We need to build that big room and a big sanctuary. And you know what? We said, we've got to be open to what God's doing. So we started looking. Um, I, you're familiar with New Jersey a little bit. The property is a little uh, tight, a little scarce, a little pricey. In fact, we did find a place. It's actually about a mile and a half from here. It's an old Verizon building, about 100,000 square feet. The problem is, is that the opening price tag on that is $20 million. They gave us a discount because we're nonprofit. Thank you very much. That would allow us to build a 2,500-seat sanctuary so we could fit everybody in. It's about 600 spaces, you know, for parking and everything. And that's what most people assume you do. Well, if God's just doing this, you just go build a box or renovate something. And we said, you know what? That is what most people just do. But what if we just slowed down and tried to connect the dots, read what God's been doing for the last 10 years? and stayed consistent with our vision of taking church to the people. And so we said, what if actually we did just the opposite? We took the church off the hill down to where actually the people live. What if we took it to them? Here's what's amazing. Do you know what we could do actually with just, let's just take half that that price tag, $10 million over the next 10 years? That would allow us to actually launch 20 campuses, 1,000 each across our state, at zero debt. Zero debt. You're okay. Oh, all right. Fiscally conservative group. That's interesting. Um, this, this is honestly one of the proudest things I, I am proudest of. Currently, we are a debt-free church. Maybe you don't know this. I'm serious. Um, we don't carry debt, and two things make that possible. First, your generosity, your faithful giving every week, honestly, combined with our commitment to invest responsibly. I'm serious. That's the second reason. We are tightwads, okay, around here. Actually, Pastor Dave's more of the tightwad, but we accomplish more ministry with less resources because we're driven by a very simple principle. We don't invest in buildings. We invest in who? People. So get this. By taking church to the people, we can reach twice the amount of people at half the cost. You getting the math? Literally, at this, at the, from that perspective, it's like a no-brainer. In other words, we're not going to saddle my kids, your kids, you, the next generation, with an outrageous, outrageous mortgage or crippling debt that they have to assume and pay off for the next 30 years. Rather, we'll become one church in multiple locations across the state. And here's the thing: you have got to understand. This is. Where do, what did I do with my little pen here? Who knows? Did you take my pen here? It is. Okay. Sorry. A lot of coffee today. Wow. This is. This is called a megachurch deal. That's what people do. They assume it's very American, bigger, better, and that's fine. Mega churches are great. We don't want to be a megachurch. We have no, that's not our goal. In fact, it's just the opposite. What we're saying is we want to be known as a microchurch with a megavision to take church to the people across our state, across the East Coast, and actually the world beyond. We don't want to be a megachurch deal. Because you know what? We've seen a lot of great ministry derailed by giant red thermometers that come out on the stage. And it's all about paving the parking lot for Jesus. So the deal is this, guys. We are excited because we believe this is the genius of the end. It allows us to grow larger and stay smaller at the same time. You guys know this. I mean, because... A thousand people isn't overwhelming. I mean, when we have a service like this with a few hundred people, you actually feel you see faces that you know and like, oh, I, I kind of know. Oh, I know Ken. There, there, there's Ted. Hey, John. What's up? We see each other. And, but, but here's the deal. In a sea of thousands of people in the big box, all of a sudden you start feeling lost. So do it, going multi-site allows us to do two things. We can increase our reach, but retain our intimacy. It's a genius of the end. We can grow bigger without sacrificing relationship and stay small on a local level. In a lot of ways, guys, again, this is ingenious. We're going back to the first century. That's when the church was localized. Instead of building the big box and saying, come see us to Disneyland, we say, no, stay where you are, serve where you live, and let's bring Jesus to your neighbors together. Make sense? So why go multi-site? Two easy answers, evangelism and stewardship. We can reach more people for Christ with less money. Now, here's the deal. This is kind of funny, and I don't know if you noticed this. But we discovered when we launched here in the Hyatt, we didn't know if we were going to stay here. We thought it was a, probably an in, interim step, but we were like God's leading us. We're going to do it. We discovered something very interesting since first launching our church here in, in Morristown. In short, very, very short. Uh, we love hotels. <laughs> uh, can we hear it for the Hyatt, um, particularly high-end ones like the Hyatt? Not, and here's why: not just because they're comfortable, you know, and clean, like centrally located. Okay, there's something else we discovered. People love coming here. It's called the power of the third place. You ever hear this? This idea of a of a third place. Sociologists actually say humans we connect in like three places: like at home, at work, in our office, and then in third places like movie theaters, bars, or the gym, or whatever. I want you to think about this. When you when you want to meet a friend for coffee, what what do you, where do you say? Let's meet. Let's let's go meet at my house. I'll go clean it up right now. No, you <laughs> say you say let's meet where at. Yeah, Starbucks. Starbucks is a third place environment. It's where people come and connect and feel comfortable staying. Because you notice, this. they just get their coffee and like run out the door. They plop down in the chairs, they steal the Wi Fi. Same thing in our hotel. Some of you don't leave <laughs> all day. I see you, and that's okay. That's awesome. Because the Hyatt designed their hotel that way. After the service, you see it downstairs. There's clutches of people over there, the coffee bar, the restaurant. Some of you go across the street, Century 21, watch out, or go to the movies. That's called fellowship. And what we discovered is that by taking church to the people in attractive third-place environments, that fits East Coast culture very, very well. Here's a big deal. Because a lot of unchurched people are much more likely to come to a place that's familiar and non-threatening to them, especially if they're adverse to the big building with the steeple on the hill, that whole big deal. So it's like, wait, where's your church? It's in Headquarters Plaza. You mean by the mall? Yeah, yeah, by the movie theater. Come and see. We can go for coffee afterwards. That's the power of the third place in our culture. And we want to become, really, in many ways, the church of the third place by taking Jesus right into places where people naturally gather and connect I saw the power of this in an amazing way um this summer. It was kind of fun. It's downstairs, it's actually around three or I guess it was probably was after four o'clock. So um but these two women were were staying at the hotel and they were at the bar and they were had drinks. You ever see the you know the you know the drinks with like the like the little pink umbrella on the top, real foo-foo drinks? So they're sitting there with their two drinks there apparently and uh, and they heard music from our worship service coming down the stairs. And so they went up to people on our host team and they actually said, Oh, uh, where's the club? Is it upstairs? And it, and our host people were like Yep, right up this way, you know. So, they, they, and they took them right up there, and you know, took them on in, and they walked in here, and they're like, "Oh, wow, wait." They're like, "Wait, is is this a church?" And I it's like, "Wham, close the doors," you know. Wait, not really. We're just like, "It's okay. You, you just hang out. You can stay." They sat two rows in there on the right-hand side for 75 minutes and listened to an uncompromised presentation about Jesus Christ, how he could change their lives. Where else does that happen? When I look at that, that to me is one of the greatest signs of a healthy church when there are little pink drink umbrellas in the worship service. <laughs> Literally they were, they were like are you sure it's okay? We're like we're, we're here to serve you. We're, we're probably not going to refill your drinks, but we're here to serve you. That's an indicator we're reaching on church people for Christ in New Jersey that they felt comfortable enough they could come in with their hear that here incredible music and experience a relevant message about Jesus, and take their next step towards God. That's evangelism, folks. You get this? You don't have to rehearse a script or, or a speech. You just go to where people live, like Jesus did. And you live among them. You live differently. And you let your light shine. And you trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. I don't even know where that picture is. It's His work. And we believe, honestly, that what's happening, and it's going to happen, is a God thing. And that he's positioning our church to really be a rare thing on the East Coast. A Christ-centered, Bible-based church that will impact generations to come in New Jersey and beyond. That's our B HAG for the next decade. What if we launched a campus within 15 minutes drive time of everyone in northern New Jersey? Leveraging attractive third place environments like like high-end hotels across our, our state. What would the impact be? Remember I told you this last week, real easy math. If God enabled us to reach just one percent of the population of Northern New Jersey, one percent, there'd be seventy thousand people. That's just Northern New Jersey. That's not even like the, the, the Cherry Hill, Philadelphia region where all the you know Flyers and Eagles fans live. Figure they're a lost cause. Just get them over to Satan. You know, I was like, whatever. Again, up to us. Impossible. But if God's behind it, we learned this last week. What it will be? What? unstoppable you see this we are following the lead of a first century church in the 21st century they couldn't be stopped because it wasn't about a building or a band or a business plan it was a god thing they didn't wheel the thermometer on stage and and say we're going to build a monument they birthed the movement and it spread to every continent every country and it continues to our day can you imagine, what if God did, what if he showed up in our state over the next 10 years? That's, another, that's my kids. That's your neighbors. More Normans. Martini Mary in Morristown. Kiwi Kelly in Melbourne. So, this January, as those 200 people, you guys leave with Pastor Mike to launch New Brunswick in the new year, um, we are hoping that frees up, actually, more of these here. 200 empty seats here in Morristown. So we can grow here, too. More room for, for the pink umbrellas. Now, remember... This is going to be the same Sunday service at each campus. The, you know, the, the rock and music, the live band, a live campus pastor, teams, groups, kids. The only difference is that the main message, and the teaching will be broadcast on that giant HD cinema screen we unveiled last week. How many of you were here last week to see that thing? Raise your hand. Was it not bad, right? Not bad. It's literally the size of our, our Morristown stage here. It's kind of weird for, you know, maybe it's kind of weird to start, but it's like after a minute, in, it was like, what, well, not a biggie, right? Same Tim, same you know, tool, just multiplying the impact. And, and, and here's the deal, that, bro- that broadcast technology, I know if it seems weird to us, it will just continue to grow and develop and get more and more sophisticated each year as we go forward. In fact, again, I don't want to weird you out right now, but this might surprise you. Right now, I'm not here. <laughs> You're actually looking at a hologram. That's what this is right now. How many, Did you see that on CNN? Did anyone see that in the election coverage? How whacked was that? They had a hologram there, and, and, and again, for us, it's like crazy for us, but guess what our kids? Our kids are going to be like, no biggie, shoulder shrug. You get the idea. As we leverage technology and take the gospel to more and more people, it's just going to be second nature to 21st century ministry. We have a timeless first century message, but our methods will be ever-changing. Our message always remains the same. Jesus Christ, he died for you. Eternal life comes through him alone. But the methods of communicating that will always change. So remember this. Our commitment means we will do anything short of sin to reach those who aren't here yet. Because once upon a time, you weren't here yet. And Christ came for you. Now, this all begs the big question. That's the one facing us today. How in the world are we going to do this? (laughs) Actually, let me rephrase that because how in the world do we make sure we don't get in the way as God does this? Because he's going to do this. And if it's his deal, it's unstoppable. We're along for the ride. But I can think of a couple of things, um, big things, honestly, real things that threaten us, what God wants to do in our church in 2010. And we're going to look in the book of Acts for a minute. But you know what? You know what could thwart God's dream for our church? Just, I'll start real simple. Just on everyone's mind, just be honest. A who moved my cheese mentality. You guys heard that phrase, who moved my cheese? Change is hard. And even now, right now, some of you are kind of struggling to absorb all that I'm sharing with you. Externally, you're smiling and clapping because you want to be polite because you don't want to be known as the, like the, the, the grumpy pants who doesn't want to reach Martini Mary. Oh, go for it. But internally, you're, you're grinding because they say resistance to change is overwhelming in adults. 75% of adults, 25 and older, don't like change at all. That's three out of four. And this vision is a massive change in how we think about and do church. So if you don't like your cheese moved, this will be a challenge. That, that's, that's where the phrase comes from. It's the title of a New York Times bestseller, Who Moved My Cheese? It's about change management. The, the basic idea is that it equates people's resistance to change the way trained mice freak out when you move their cheese. It's not the most flattering comparison, but it's, it's true nonetheless. But that kind of what's-in-it-for-me mentality could threaten God's dream for a church. But you know what's an even bigger... I mean, I'm thinking... Bigger obstacle than that mentality? How about a slow-as-it-goes economy? Yeah. I mean, this financial downturn could be an enormous obstacle to our 2010 vision. I mean, growth, expansion, new campuses, new staff, kids, all that costs money. It ain't $20 million, but it ain't 20 bucks either. In fact, each new campus will cost an average of $400,000 to launch in its first year. That's what it costs us here. It's certainly less than, than, a, than a physical building, but it's a significant price tag. 400000 bucks includes everything from, uh, you know, because it costs to rent the venue, obviously we do a lot of multimedia, staging equipment. Uh, one of the things we're going to do is upgrade all of our liquid kids and, and teens environments across the board and at every new campus. But if you do the simple math, again, I'm not a, a sophisticated numbers guy, so I'm just going to sketch this out for you here. If you do the math of this, can we get this up here, guys? Literally, if it's 400, we already have one campus, but if it's $400,000 and we're launching three new campuses, can anyone do the math on that? That's 1.2 million dollars. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of cheese. That's a lot of cheese. And I have to admit, this fall, when the economy crashed and our markets bottomed out, even now as people are losing their jobs for 401 kids, I have to admit, I got really nervous. Cause I have faith, but like you, like I, I struggle when the pressure's on. And, and, and literally I was like watching this and I was like, wow, God, go, you know? Guess you really want to stretch our faith, didn't you? I mean, it's like, what timing? We step out to pursue this BHAG vision for reaching people across New Jersey. It's going to require 1.2 million above and beyond financial sacrifice. And we're launching smack dab in the middle of the worst financial crisis of our generation. Go, God? Kinda? Guess that's why they call it faith, yeah? In fact, if you just run the numbers, what's required, you could easily actually say, well, maybe the the, the timing isn't right to do this. Uh, Because our slow-as-it-goes economy, it's going to drag everything down. You you watch the news. All families, jobs, businesses, church, you're going to feel the downturn. And and you hear people saying, we don't know how long it's going to last. So you know what you do? You batten down the hatches and stay in the boat, Peter. You don't get out of the boat when the waves are coming over the sides of the ship. You know better. And you know what? That is very sound advice. That is is excellent advice. Unless you can see over the waves, into the distance, and make out what appears to be a man who actually knows how to walk on the waves going ahead of you. We're taking a step of faith here, guys. And and it's going to cost us. But we're going to have to surrender what is familiar and step out of the boat financially if we truly believe this is Jesus' vision and we're following him. Because this is an all hands on deck moment in the life of our church. And we need every person in this room watching, listening online to sacrifice to pursue this thing. Because although God's vision is unstoppable, here's the deal it's utterly dependent on ordinary, average, everyday people. To realize, let me show you now what I'm talking about. Turn to Acts four. That's where we pick up a story. Um, see, a lot of people think God-sized visions can only be accomplished with, like, you know, you know, natural-born leaders or you know, highly educated, you know, specially trained, rich people with God-sized gifts or something. That's not true. In fact, I've been kind of saturating myself in the Book of Acts, and as I began looking at the extraordinary vision and growth of the first-century church, I was kind of surprised by what I found, because the people who led that movement were how do I put this? Nothing special. In fact, just the opposite. They were utterly ordinary, spectacularly simple people. Check this out in Acts 4. If you remember, uh, the early Church actually had a very easy strategy. They were just like, find a marketplace or a mall and just start, talk people about Jesus. And it totally tweaked the religious authorities. Acts 4 two says this. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They're like... Christ died for you. You can have new life. So what did it say? They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. In other words, they were desperate to stop this movement. So they threw the ringleaders in prison, but it didn't have quite the, the impact they were looking for. In fact, look at the effect in verse 4. But many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about what? 5,000. Again, if it's a God thing, it's unstoppable. Not prison. Not financial hardship, none of that can contain God's power when he wants to reach people through his church. But now this is interesting, I love this. Skip to verse 13, because this is a revealing detail about the kind of people God, God needs. Um, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and what kind of men, say it with me, unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished. They, they were like, what the... How how, how is all this happening? I mean, these guys are totally average. (laughs) They're blue-collar fishermen. How could God accomplish so much through such average, ordinary people? It says they were astonished, and they took note that they had what? Been with who? Been with Jesus. In other words, these ordinary, everyday people a part of something bigger than themselves, something supernatural that became unstoppable. And how do they do it? Scripture simply says they've been with Jesus. Now, here's the beauty of this little verse. Watch this. Permission to write in the Bible. Click your pen. Circle the word ordinary here. <laughs> because your Bible translators are being very, very polite. The original Greek word that is translated in our English as ordinary is the Greek word idiotatse. Can we all say this together? <laughs> right? Idiotatse. Anyone want to take a crack at what they think that Greek word translates to? Yeah. In the Greek, it translates literally to an ignoramus, an ignorant or unlearned person, an all around what? Idiot. This is literally where we got our English word idiot. This originates in the Greek. In the first century, an idiotatse was simply someone who had like no schooling, no education. They didn't like get the way the world worked. They didn't have special training, no special gifts, nothing outstanding, just ordinary average idiotate, maybe a few fries short of a happy meal. You guys remember that cartoon, Ren and Stimpy? Stimpy, you idiot. That's, not, that's literally what this verse translates to. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were idiots, they were astonished. And they took note that these idiots had been with Jesus. And this verse should be deeply comforting to some of you. Right now, I'm not just just kidding. I don't mean to be insulting. Just write it down with your crayon. I'm just kidding. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. Because what's the point? When God wants to do something big, something unstoppable, He doesn't call the professionals. He doesn't call in the fundraisers. Or the scholars or the natural born motivational speakers. Why? Because they usually try to grab the credit. Look at me! The spotlight kind of thing. When God wants to do something with his church, with our church, he sends out a call. Calling all idiots. Come fulfill my vision. I want you to think of who Jesus called. I'm not kidding about this. Who did he choose to be in his inner circle? Where did the twelve come from? The original. Did he choose the best and the brightest? The wealthiest? No. No. Average, ordinary people, uneducated fishermen, idiots. One of them was a tax collector, worked for the IRS. Talk about idiots. Who did Jesus hang out with? He hung out with prostitutes. He associated with people who were accused of being drunks. Martini Mary with her umbrella. She was part of the inner circle. But catch this. They loved being with Jesus. That's the secret. They were simple enough to actually take Jesus at his word and follow him wherever he went. See, from a biblical perspective, being an idiot has its benefits because you're not smart enough to know what isn't possible. Four campuses in, in two years, one, 1.2 million, no, not in this climate, the infrastructure, the economy, it's like, all right, sounds good, let's go, I'm in. I call shotgun. One of the things, honestly, just be candid, um, that I love about this church is that it's full of ordinary, average, everyday Biblical idiotates. People who are simply foolish enough to say Jesus is who he said he is and we can do what he says we can do. Just I, that, that makes me, by the way, idiot in chief. See, idiots don't know what can't be done because they haven't been schooled by the world. So they're not intimidated by change or financial crisis because biblical idiots believe with God all things are possible. Do you notice who Jesus did not call to lead his church? Check this out. Not a Pharisee, not a scribe, not a Sadducee, not a single person from the educated religious establishment. He called everyday, average, ordinary people who believed him at his word. So I have news for some of you. Some of you are real A-typers, right? You graduated like first year class. You're like most likely to succeed. I've got good news for you today. God can still use you. It's just that he prefers average Ordinary idiots first. People who aren't swayed by forecasts or, 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 or worldly constraints because if God's behind it, they know it's, it's going to happen. Let's take it from Morristown to Melbourne to Montclair to the ends of the earth. All right, how early do I have to be there? <laughs> See, from God's benefit, folks, it's a blessing when you're not the sharpest crayon in the box because he's like, I can use him mightily. Because that's someone who won't get in the way of what I want to do, who won't try to hog the spotlight or or, or get the credit. Instead, when I show up by my spirit and do something amazing in their midst, even the non-believers are going to go, all right, I don't believe in this whole Jesus Jesus business, but this has to be a God thing. Because did you look at the likes of this bunch? They they call themselves Liquid Church. Does that even count? That's not even a name. What kind of name is that? It's a church of biblical idiots just crazy enough to step out of the boat and follow Jesus where he leads. And guess what? When we do follow Jesus to attempt something big, nothing can stop those kind of people, not, not, no matter the threat. Look at Acts 5. Would you flip one page over? Look at verse 40. Look at what they do. It says, They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Now watch this. Day after day in the temple courts, and from house to house, what's the phrase? They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is who? The Christ, the Savior. God chooses idiots for a reason. You can't stop them. You throw them in jail, they're going to sing songs. You strip them, you whip them, you beat them bloody, they're going to rejoice because they believe that sacrificing for Jesus is a privilege. You, you kill them and it just incites the others to greater sacrifice. Idiots never stop, and nothing stopped the early church. It spread from Asia to Europe, and they literally, these ordinary, average, nothing special people, took it to the ends of the earth, as Jesus predicted, because it wasn't about them. It was about what God wanted to do through people who will sacrifice and be surrendered to Jesus. Folks, I'm here to tell you today that on November 9th, 2008, To the degree that you and I, we, are willing to be ordinary, biblical idiots for Christ, nothing will stop the spread of Jesus across our state. Nothing. Even the big threats that face us. What do you think of those two I mentioned? See, when when big change comes, we we already said this, normal people say, who moved my cheese? But, But biblical idiots, they ask a different question. They say, no, 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 not who moved my cheese. How can God move me? When change comes, instead of saying, what's in it for me, idiots are willing to drop everything to fulfill the mission that Christ calls them to. You see this actually when Peter first first is called by Jesus to drop his nets and follow him. Look at this in Luke 5. It says, Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left what? Everything. And they followed him. I spent some time just absorbing that verse this week. And I was like, I was like wondering, I was like, what was that like? For those, those, those simple men, they'd known fishing for generations and decades. My daddy was a fisherman. My papa was a fisherman. Bubble gum shrimp after that. their own, It was a source of comfort and security for their lifetime. What was it like for them to actually drop their nets and leave everything to follow Jesus? What was that like? I mean, Peter and John, when they let go of their nets, that was the symbol of their economic livelihood. They were working class. But they believed, catch this, this is how Biblical idiotaces think. They figured sacrificing financially to help Jesus build his kingdom was the best investment that they could make. Why? Why were they willing to do it? Here's the answer. They took Jesus at his word. And they were willing to give up something they loved, fishing, for something they loved even more. Fishing for men. Surf's up. We're going fishing to reach those who aren't here yet. Those guys were the first to give up something familiar, something that was comfortable, for something they loved even more. Here's my question for you. Would you be willing to give up something you love. Maybe it's familiar faces here in Morristown or in this room. Maybe it's seeing Pastor Mike every Sunday or maybe seeing me live every, every Sunday for something you love even more. Bringing Jesus to those who aren't even here yet. Would you be willing to let go of your net and release what's familiar, sacrifice part of your income to follow Jesus? See, as slow as it goes economy can't stop God's vision. Because in the wake of financial crisis, biblical idiotates, they open their hands extra wide and respond with above and beyond generosity. 1.2 million is a lot of money. It's a lot of cheese. And we are hoping that we'll actually have at least half of it in hand by the end of the year. We want to launch New Brunswick debt-free. And that's going to take a lot. Because you've got venue costs. You do have equipment and staging. We have to buy trucks. I mean, we're a portable church. Transportation. But we're also a big expense. We're radically kind of ramping up to expand our ministry at Liquid Kids and actually launch brand new ministry to our growing tweens and teen population. In fact, this is exciting. Maybe uh, you saw this last week. We added a new staff member to our team, Pastor Bill Stofer, who will be serving as our pastor of student ministries, and he's going to be designing and developing an all-new programming to our middle school and high school students at all of our campuses. Can we welcome the Stofers, be sure to say hi to him and D after the service? That's their twins, Liam and Kate there. But here's the deal. All, the, all these additions cost money. I mean, new campuses, new staff equipment. You multiply impact and you multiply costs. And you know what? That can be a scary thing when the economy's on a downturn. but here's the deal. In the history of our church, every time we have taken a step of faith, that liquid out of the boat, and invested in people, not pavement, that's when God stirs up extraordinary generosity in our midst. Because that's when biblical... I got it. Idiotat says in our church, raise their hand and say, no, no, slow as it goes. "No, No, count me in. Instead of actually clenching my fists even tighter, I'm going to respond with above and beyond generosity because this is a God thing, and the safest thing I could do would be to invest in this. You ever watch the Poker Channel? I don't. I've just heard about this. Apparently on the Poker Channel, those guys wear the sunglasses and the big hats. There are guys who like, throw a few chips in. And then there are those guys who, when they think they got a good hand, what do they 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 push it, what? They call all in. That's biblical idiotat says. When faced with an opportunity, idiots find creative ways to sacrifice above and beyond because they see the mission God's called them to. We saw this this past summer in our charity water outreach. You guys know this. Um, As part of our larger mission to take church to people across the world, we launched long-term plans to build freshwater wells in the poorest of the poor in villages in sub-Saharan Africa. And we were shocked because it was like, one freshwater well costs $5,000. It's like, really? The impact is extraordinary. It provides actually one well, an entire village, 400 people with clean, safe drinking water for 20 years. Something we take for granted, liquid Liquid compassion to those who have the least. And, and you, you guys know the story. We had these modest plans to build two or three wells, but then calling all idiots kind of went out. And $100,000 later, we're breaking ground on 23 wells this fall in Uganda, Ethiopia, and in, in the Central African Republic. But here's the deal. One story stood out for me because it's from a man in our congregation, I don't know if you're here, um, that was inspired to do something, I think, ridiculous from a worldly perspective, but from a heaven's perspective, different. He said, Dear Pastor Tim, I recently went to buy a Harley, (laughs) something I've waited several years for since I sold my last Harley. Since then, I've been toilless, and over time, I've been able to save up a few thousand dollars to use as a down payment on a new one. And as I saw my bank account grow, I began researching the exact model and color of the perfect bike. And then the day finally came. The dealership allowed me to take the floor model for a test ride, and I felt as though I had been airlifted to heaven. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was the perfect bike for me. And then it happened. (laughs) As I plunked my credit card on the counter to leave a deposit on an incoming bike, I found myself staring at it and was reminded of so many other things I could buy. I thought of the many home improvements that still need to be done at our place. But above all, the image of clean water coming out of wells in Africa was something that kept coming to mind. And all at once, I knew what I had to do. I scooped up my credit card and walked out the door. This decision has given me for the first time in my life a feeling of peace and contentment. And therefore, it's with pleasure that I present you with the enclosed check for $5,000 to build a well in Africa. Do Do you understand the kind of heart Behind that sacrifice. This doesn't happen in the kingdom of man. But in the kingdom of God, ordinary people who are captured by God's extraordinary compassion for a world in need, they, they, they sacrifice. They give above and beyond what's expected because they count it a privilege to help Jesus change one city, one village, one life at a time. This, this is outrageous. This is lunacy. John, you idiot! But you know what? Watch out for John. Because when a man gives up his motorcycle, that is a man who you can't stop. Because God's Spirit is stirring in him. It's leading him. And he's an idiot for Jesus. And this is how I know. 1.2 million for three campuses. It's going to happen. Because we're calling everybody to be biblical idiotates and sacrifice financially this fall for Jesus' dream in New Jersey. For our kids. For children we're not going to meet ever. It was the coolest thing last week to see some of you actually already preemptively kind of respond uh, to our vision. Um, we haven't even talked, I mean, about, about money. And one family wrote this on their connection card last week. They said, please increase my tithe to 11.5% in 2009 to support our new mission. Can we hear it? That is awesome. A few others did that actually this week, sent that in. That's incredible. It's like, you idiots, you believe Jesus. And because you sacrificed, you actually said, not who moved me, you said, how can God move me? How can I give above and beyond? Because this thing's going to happen and lives are going to change. And as we step out, you know what? God's going to call some of you to go, but understanding, He's asking all of us to give, to sacrifice. And I want to be sensitive here because I realize, some, some of you, maybe you've lost your jobs and you're not in that, that position. And you know what? That is okay. That is so okay. But those of us who have been entrusted with income, this is our call to release the nets and follow the rabbi, because he's our leader. There are three ways to do that. The first is just to keep tithing. Some of you started tithing a few weeks ago. Who was here for the candy corn message? You were here for that craziness. Yeah, I still got candy corn on my shoes there. Uh, it was awesome. And the week after that, fifty people who had never tithed before said, "We're going to take a step and trust God with my finances." And they gave ten percent of their income. They returned that to God. And you know what? I got three words for you. If, if that's you, keep it up. <laughs> Don't give up. Don't, don't tithe one month and say, all right, once and done. Make it a habit. Why? Because it's a way of training your heart to be with the things of God rather than the things of men. At our, at our membership dessert on Friday night, we had over 90 people, and we're like part of being a, a member of our church is that we tithe. We give systematically. That's, that's why we give you these, these envelopes. In fact, can you guys take this out? We put a little surprise in there for you today. Take out this envelope in your bulletin. There's a little magnet in here. You can pull that out. Pastor Michael will talk about this in a minute when we dismiss But this is why we give you these envelopes, so you can systematically give, not just as the tithe, or maybe it's increasing your tithe. Like this family, that's a great model. Would you be willing, here's a question, to go one click up in 2009, above and beyond to support this vision? Maybe you just give 8%, maybe it's 10%, or maybe it's 10% to 12, as a way of saying, you know, I want to follow you, Jesus. And I'm going to sacrifice to pursue your vision. Thank you for your lead, by the way, those of you who have already done this. But what I want to do is I want to challenge everyone in our entire church family. It's going to be weird because we're going to have family now in New Brunswick. To use this envelope to give a special offering towards our 2010 vision this fall. Here's the way this works. See, in the Bible, tithes are baseline. But offerings are considered above and beyond. It's like what my friend John did with his Harley. This is an offering. He was willing to sacrifice something he loved, riding his bike, for something he loved more, giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. In the same way, we want to challenge each of you to make a sacrifice, a sacrificial offering in two Sundays from now. On Sunday, November 23rd, it is the weekend before Thanksgiving. What better way to thank God? We want every family to consider making a significant sacrifice, proportionate to what God has given you. Okay? So here's here's the deal. Just totally kitchen table talk. For some of you, two hundred dollars is going to be a stretch. But do you know that will buy booster seats for the New Brunswick nursery? That's a big deal. For others, two thousand is in your reach. But maybe you'd have to give up something pretty special to do that. Heaven forbid another soft tail. <laughs> Personally speaking. Um, We're talking about this summer, and Colleen and I, we've been saving up over this past year and uh, we don't have a ton we're, not, we're out of debt but we've got a savings that's not we're not there yet but we've been saving up for this past year for new trucks some of you have you seen uh, my beater? Uh, how do I it's, it's a beater <laughs> you've seen it uh, Someone in the front row laughed because they helped change my battery last year I do this junker Ford Explorer and it's awesome because it's like dukes a hazard two of the doors don't work they actually don't open so you don't go in the window but I do have to go in through the back it's amazing all, <laughs> the front panel is amazing because all the knobs have fallen off and it's only AM radio at 1970. When you hear it. But, it. but it runs. And so this fall, we had plans to junk it. We were going to get a new car. Sorry, I'm going along. We were disciplined about We saved up a nice chunk of change to pay for most of it cash. But we prayed. And we're like, we want to be part of what God's doing. And so we, here's what we decided to do. We decided that today, we're going to take that down payment this fall, stick it in this envelope, And give up something we would like, a new car, for something we'd like even more. Reaching new people for Christ. And do you know what? It will be a privilege to drive that piece of crap for another two years. Because every time I get in, here's the deal, every time I get in and sweat this summer because the AC doesn't work, my back sticks to the vinyl, I'm going to be smiling like an idiot. Because I know there are people who I will never meet in person whose lives will be forever changed. Because we gave above and beyond to take Jesus to them. Idiots aren't intimidated by a slow as it goes economy because they know God's economy operates on an entirely different plane, He owns everything our stuff, our stocks. And he can provide immeasurably more. That's how Paul puts it, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. But only people, if you believe that in your heart, only then can you open your hands to respond with above and beyond giving. So here's my question for you. What will God move you to give? For some $250, again, that's a sacrifice. It's just proportionate. For others, $2,500 will be an incredible gift from your family. And look, if there's someone out there right now, by the way, um, I just want to speak to you directly, Jess. If, 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 God has blessed you with much, okay? And you've been wondering why. <laughs> like, in the midst of all this, you've been given plenty, but you kind of like, you're like, I keep it to myself because everyone else seems right. But God's like, open his hand, and like, you've achieved more than you hoped for in your financial dreams. And you wonder why. Here's why. Cause God, he trusts you. That's why. He trusts you. You're his money manager. <laughs> It's his stuff, but he gave it to you to invest. And this is your chance to invest extravagantly in expanding his kingdom across New Jersey. We want to stay debt-free, and so we need a handful of people to actually write a check for $25,000 or more if we're going to reach a goal of $1.2 million. So don't be shy. In fact, if there's someone here today, maybe there's just one person, one one family. God has given you the capacity to write a check for $200,000. Would you meet me in the back? Uh, afterwards by the door Why are you're laughing. I'm serious. Let's talk. I'm, I'm not going to tell you a whole lot. I'm just going to be like, man, God gave you a lot to give. That's awesome. Write the check. That's great. But you got to understand here, you're going to screw everything up because then we're going to have to speed up all our plans and launch campuses ahead of time more quickly. Than, but we'll, you know, it's all right. We'll adjust. I want you to look at the verse on this envelope because it's the one Colleen and I prayed for. That's why we put it on here. It's the one that jumped out at us um, when we were deciding what to give. It's from 2 Samuel 24. It says, read it, I will not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Be biblical. Idiotatses. Will you give a sacrificial gift on the 23rd? Put it in this envelope. Trust God. Share your story. We need some of you to go. We need most of you to give, and lastly, we need all of us to serve. But I'm gonna let Pastor Mike tell you about that serving opportunity after our our offering in a moment. I want to end here. Here's what I want I just want to say. Can you believe we gotta be a part of this? That's how I feel. Like we gotta be a part of this. What God's doing here in our state, around the world, it's change you actually can believe in. I'm not talking about politics. Government doesn't save lives. Religion doesn't save lives. Jesus Christ alone is our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our leader. And He's calling all idiots to take a step and get on board or get out of the way. Because He's going to do it. He's going to do something unstoppable through all of us. Together in the year to come. Some of you will go. Most of us will give. But all will sacrifice together. What's God calling you to do? Here's the deal. As our ushers come forward, if you are sensing that tug today. Don't quench it. Don't, don't, uh, step out of the boat and into the waves because that's where your Savior is. Let's pray and tell Jesus we're going to follow Him. Jesus, thank you for calling everyday, ordinary, average people to build your kingdom. Ordinary, imperfect people like Peter, like John, like Martini Mary, like me. Lord, I've heard it said you don't call the prepared, but you prepare the called. So I ask now that you'll bless the individuals and the families that will go. Would you reward their sacrifice, Jesus? May lives be changed because they look beyond themselves and sacrifice for those they couldn't even see yet. I ask you bless uh, all those who are going to give now, Lord, sacrificially. Would you just uh, stretch our trust, grow our faith during this time of testing, and, and, and reward the faithfulness of your people? You've been so faithful to us, Lord. We trust you, Jesus. And we can't wait to take you across our state and across our world in the year to come. Be with us every step of the way. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said together, Amen. All right.